Welcome to Chicago Tabernacle, a place of becoming. Wherever you find yourself, we pray that you would be encouraged today by God's Word. Please join us now as we hear a message from Pastor Toledo. And you know, I'm really excited to be continuing the Becoming series. Because of all of our new online family, because of the new context of of uh, uh, of how ministry has unfolded throughout the 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 COVID nineteen <clears throat> pandemic, we felt in our hearts that we wanted for everyone to know um, what we believe are the core values of becoming. Chicago Tabernacle is a place of becoming. To they to them that believed, He gave them the power to everyone become. When you become a child of God. You are not just transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. I mean, that's incredible. Your eternity is secured. You know you're going to heaven. That's incredible. But while we're on the way between that moment and between the moment that we get to heaven, brothers and sisters, we are constantly becoming because the spirit of God and the word of God works inside of us to make us more like Jesus. Does anyone here want to become? Could, you, could I see your hands? Anybody here want to become more like Jesus? Amen. I know you raise your hand in your living room and your kitchen. Amen. So uh, the, the first value of becoming is pursuing with God's heart, which we covered over the last couple of weeks. And I was so blessed and thankful for Pastor Simla's message on really seeking God and on prayer. Everything happens when you and I have FaceTime with God. Everything changes. The best way to change is by seeking God. See, when you, that's why the prayer meeting is the most important meeting of the week. Because when you have an encounter with God... More happens in those moments than a thousand of my sermons. You see, the whole purpose of a sermon is to build faith so someone will seek the face of God. And so as we pursue God, we're changed. Today we're going to be looking at the second core value of becoming, which is loving with God's heart. Becoming takes place as we love with God's heart. When we say love, we mean agape love. This is the selfless, sacrificial, and unconditional love of God. God's heart is the key to all of this because everyone, naturally speaking, has someone, at least one person per se, that they actually love. But we're not talking about that love. We're talking about God's love. God's love is the love that transforms us and transforms our world. So when we talk about love, we're talking about loving with God's unconditional agape love. I know that this is redundant. I've said this a thousand times over the last 19 years. The Bible says that love is the highest form of spirituality. There's no more spiritual thing to do than to love. The Apostle Paul said love is the most excellent way. When we started this church, one of our main prayers was this. Lord, one, the moment that they walk through the doors, we've always prayed this and we pray this right now. We don't care 
where they come from, where they were born, what color they are, what they did last night. We don't care. Regardless, the moment they cross the threshold of your house, Lord, let them feel, let them be arrested by the presence and power of your love, oh God. And let me tell you something. Let, we pray, God, let them feel it, Lord, not just in presence but through people. That's why I love that we hug so much. Everybody go like this because I really want to hug every single one of you. I'm sending this out to you right now. We should love. That's the way it ought to be. And you know what? Even though the, we have some restrictions with the pandemic, it's not going to stop love from just flowing and pouring out of our hearts. How many would say amen? And so here's the, here's the interesting thing, what I have found. When people know you really love them, it's a lot easier to tell them the truth. Speak the truth in love. And when the more we love people, the more we can tell them the truth that sets them free. When our congregation loves, then it frees me to preach the truth. Only the truth sets people free. But people are like, man, I don't know if I like what he's saying right now, but I can't, I, I, I can't, uh, uh, Resist the fact that these people really love me. That's the way it ought to be. How many would say amen? So today we're going to be focusing on the becoming influence and nature of the love of God. And we're going to be looking in two different places in the New Testament, in Romans and in Matthew. So Romans chapter 13, just a couple of verses I'm going to be reading out of the Good News Translation, and it uh, just so happens to be the translation I'm reading right now. And so listen to this. Be under no obligation to no one. The only obligation, now by the way, all of the other translations for the most part use the word debt. Okay. So the NIV, the ESV, they say um, you should owe no one or, or have no debt. Don't live in debt except one debt, which is the debt of love. So be under no obligation or no debt to no one. The only obligation you have is to everyone love another. We've got to love one another. Whoever does this has obeyed the law. The commandments, do not commit adultery, do not commit murder, do not steal, do not desire what belongs to someone else. All these and any others besides are summed up in the one command, love your neighbor as you love yourself. If you love others, you will never do them wrong. Powerful. To love then is to obey the whole law. You see, without love it is impossible to become. God is love. Love is the heart, the spirit, the motivation, the desire of God for every moment of our lives. If you want to grow in God, love is the most excellent way. Okay? If you want to be transformed, yes, study the Bible. Yes, serve in the body. But more than ever, anything, let all of your receiving from God be receiving God's heart, which is love. 
Now I want to read one more verse to you out of Matthew. It says, you know, Jesus told many uh, parables. Matthew 13, 33 says this. Jesus told them still another parable. The kingdom of heaven. Everybody say the kingdom of heaven. So look at me for a moment. So there's the kingdom of heaven and then there are the kingdoms of this world. So part of the reason why you're here, part of the reason why you're watching online is because we are participants. We are members of the kingdom of heaven. Anybody here belong to the kingdom of God? How many would say amen? We belong to the kingdom of God. We are, we are children of the most high God. So the Bible says, and Jesus was telling this story, the kingdom of heaven is like this. A woman takes some yeast and mixes it with a bushel of flour until the whole batch of dough rises. Until the whole batch of dough rises. Now I want to give you three key framing statements and then we're going to pray. And I'll connect these two verses as I give you these statements. Um, but I want to give you these statements so that we could really receive the, the, the essential principles of what it means to become. And as I go to give you these statements, I also want to say to you that today's message is so real time in its application. I mean, right here, right now, you can apply it. I'm right here, right now. And the moment you step out of the doors, if you want to become and if you want to be like Jesus, then just love. So here they are. Here's the three statements. Number one, love is our obligation and main motivation. Okay, in other words, you, if you're a child of God, the way you should feel and live every time you wake up, every encounter that you have with other people, everything that is happening in your life, there should be this undercurrent, this feeling in your heart that you have an obligation to love people. It's what should motivate us. You'll see in a moment, it doesn't matter who they are. It doesn't matter what they stand for. It doesn't matter what they've done to you. Love is our main obligation. Somebody say amen. amen. We're back in church. You can say amen. I hope you're shouting amen back there. <laughs> Love is our obligation. If every day that we wake up, we owe it to Christ because of what he's done for us. We owe it to him. Anybody here been saved by the powerful blood of Jesus? Well, we owe it to him. It's our obligation. It's our main motivation. No matter what we're doing, no matter what we're facing, a little bit more. Love never says you owe me. Love always says I owe you. You see, here's what that means. It means when you're dealing with people, we'll unpack this. But when you're dealing with people, when you're dealing with life circumstances and things that happen to you, the hard things that happen to you, love is so powerful, it doesn't say, you owe me. Love says, I owe you. This is radical. Lastly, the, last, the reason why I used the kingdom of heaven is like a woman mixing yeast into a bushel of flour. Yeast is the uplifting agent of bread and cake and all of the above. And love is the uplifting influence of this world. When we love, brothers and sisters, everyone gets better and every, everyone feels better. When we love. 
No matter what your situation is, when we walk in love, everyone gets better, everything feels better. And so what I want to do is I want to pray. Because I want to, Christianity is right here. This is real Christianity. For regardless of your theological position, regardless of whether you think this way about the second coming of Christ, you're premillennial, whatever millennial you are. Or even if you are a millennial. Right? Regardless of all the different positions that you might take on the Bible on all sorts of things. The bottom line is love is the most excellent way. Could somebody say amen? It's the key to better marriages. It's the key to a better nation. It's the key to better families. It's the key to better schools. It's the key to better churches. It's the key to better everything. So come on, let's pray. Father, thank you for this word. Thank you for this time. Help us, Lord, to receive this kingdom obligation to love. No matter where we've been, no matter what we've done, no matter what's been done to us, help us to receive the obligation to love. Because when we love God, we become. Bless this word now by your mighty power in the mighty name of Jesus. And everyone said, amen and amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. So here's what I want to do. I want to unpack love's obligation for us before we take communion today. And today's a perfect day to take communion because we want to get our hearts really aligned with God's heart so that we walk out of here full of love and ready to love. Amen. Okay. So first of all, it's important for us to know that love's obligation is omnidirectional. Omnidirectional. Love's obligation is towards anyone and everyone. It is omnidirectional. And I want to put up a slide for you to really explain this. So... It is natural to love your family, okay? It is natural to love uh, um, um, your clan, so to speak. And um, to, to love your family is great and wonderful. And we need to, uh, may every home represented here be filled with love, amen? But it doesn't stop there. The Bible says that this kind of love means that the same kind of love that we pour out towards our family, we should pour out towards our neighbor. The same kind of love. Okay, that everybody in your neighborhood, everyone, the person who sits next to you, the person who you uh, see at the, at the, I don't know, at Starbucks or Dunkin' Donuts. I'm trying to love here. Whoever it is, wherever you go, love is the most excellent way. Love is omnidirectional. Love in the scriptures is different from the world. Because the world says love your family. The world might even say it's cool to love your neighbor. But in a lot of ways when someone is your enemy, the world says you're my enemy and I want to take you out. But in the kingdom of God, we're not like that because love is the uplifting influence. So we love our enemies too. Come on, put your hands together and say, yes, I agree. I agree with the word of God. 
And as we change, I want you to personalize this. I want you to think about people who act like your enemy. And I want you to say, God, fill my heart with love for them. You see? Especially in our climate. Love is toward our opponent. Now that really speaks to our times. Because our nation is so divided. We have Democrats. We have Republicans. We have this and we have that and we have every kind of everything. And you know what? The person that you disagree with the most, you have an obligation to what? Everyone, love. Come on, a little louder. Love. If you're a Democrat, love every Republican you run into. If you're a Republican, love every Democrat because we want them to know Jesus. How many would say amen? Every direction, no matter how much we disagree. Imagine they're beating him, spitting on him. He's bleeding from thorns. They're nailing his hands to the cross. And what is he saying? He's saying, Father, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. See, when someone's heart is filled with hate, they don't get it. When someone's heart is filled with hate, they, they don't get it. It's not the reasons. It's not what happened. It's not the past. Simply speaking, as a Christian, when your heart gets filled with hate, you're not getting it. You're not understanding what your mission is here on this planet. Our mission sometimes is to receive hurt and pain, but to love nonetheless. Love is omnidirectional. We have to love in every way. And I know that that is kind of a, a challenge. But listen, I want to I wanna end this particular point with a quote by a Pastor Howard Thurman, who I believe was Dr. King, Dr. King's pastor. A huge influence on Martin Luther King Jr.'s life. And here's what he said. He said, Jesus depicted what happens when a man responds directly to human need across the barriers of class, race, and condition. Every man is potentially every other man's neighbor. Neighborliness is non-spatial. It is qualitative. A man must love his neighbor directly, clearly, permitting no barriers between. I want you to go back all of these slides are on our app. I want you to go back. I want you to think about this. And I want you to apply this to your life. This is really, really powerful. The first thing that the Bible teaches us about love, and if you really want to change, if you really want to see your life set on fire, then I'm telling you right now. Start with the fact that we have an obligation to love, and that means love everybody. Even if you disagree with them, love them. That's what the Bible says. And if the Bible says, how many, how many know it's right and it's true? Regardless of what CNN or Fox News says. Regardless of what the bloggers say. Okay? Regardless of what people are posting on Instagram. I'm telling you right now, if it doesn't say love people, then don't listen to it. Because we're called to love. Somebody say amen. amen. Hallelujah. Blessed be the name of the Lord. So first of all, love's obligation 
is omnidirectional. But secondly, this is a natural deduction of that. Love's obligation is protective. Love's obligation is protective. The natural impulse of love is to protect. It's crazy how when a little baby, Marshall, Pastor Christians, and Heidi's baby was, he's, he's fast becoming a bishop already because he was in our staff prayer with all the pastors. And um, it was so, it just blessed me. I could have preached a whole sermon and with one scene. When Pastor Christian walked in, he was in Heidi's arms. And when Pastor Christian walked in, Marshall went like this. I was like, that's it. That's the message right there. He wanted his daddy, you know. And the thought of anything negative happening to Marshall, all bets are off. You see, we want to protect. Love always has the desire to protect. If the church would just be driven by the power and force of love, we could transform this world. If we just started protecting people based on love, regardless of situations or circumstances or whatever, if we just operated with the love of God's heart, do you think that when you ask God for help, God says, mm, let me see if they've been good enough for my love. Anybody here wrecked everything and ruined everything and made a mess and from the, from the pit that you dug, anybody here ever cry out to God and say, Jesus, help me. And he came running because of his love. Hallelujah. Aren't you grateful and thankful that God says, it's good for you. He doesn't do that. See, love protects you know, when I was a, a baby Christian going back over 30 years now, you know, when I, I grew up in high school, I was kind of a, kind of a, no, I was, I was a dumb jock. I focused on baseball, didn't really study in school. I'm not proud of that. If you're an athlete, please study. Please do your homework because you'll regret it later like I did. But nonetheless, um, I wasn't up on things. So I become a Christian, and I remember the first time I thought about the civil rights movement in light of the church. And I was so excited. I was like beside myself because I wanted to see what the church did. I wanted to see. I didn't know history well enough to know. So I want to see what the church did. I was like, oh, my goodness, you know, because the, the, all of this Christian stuff was so real and so new and love and, and love your neighbor as yourself and all this stuff. And then I go read. And when I started to look at what the church did during the civil rights movement, I was like a deflated balloon. I was like, you got to be kidding me. Where was the church? If the church would have stood up, forget about the civil rights movement, go all the way back, quote, Christian nation. If the love of God would have been flowing through the people of God enough to just protect everyone, we would have a different country right now. We wouldn't have seeds of violence. We wouldn't have a history of violence and history of anger, history of division. All of those things, the church could make the difference. The church is the answer. The church has been placed here by God so that we can love and see people healed and united. All we had to do is love. 
But I want to give you an example. I was, I was uh, watching this documentary on baseball. And, you know, I got to get, it's been a while since I preached live. So I got to get one sports illustration in. But listen, in the 50s, when the color barrier was broken, there was this African-American baseball player named Kurt Flood. And I want to give you a little story so that we could, I'm not, I'm not here to look back and blame people. That's, I'm all about moving forward, but let's learn from the past for a minute. Okay, so watch this for a moment. Curtis Charles Flood, an 18-year-old outfielder from Oakland, California, was signed by the Cincinnati Reds and sent to the Carolina League, where he batted 340 and drove in 128 runs. By 1957, my second year in the South, I thought I was beyond crying. But one day, we were playing a doubleheader. And after the end of the first game, you take your uniform off and you throw it into a big pile. The clubhouse manager, he comes in, he gets a uniform, and he dries them and he cleans them, and then you play the second game with the same uniform. I, like everybody else, I threw my uniform right into the big pile with everybody else's. And the clubhouse guy came by with one of these long sticks with a nail on it. And he very carefully picked my uniform out from the white guy's uniforms. And my muddled sweatshirt and my jock strap with everything. Sent my uniform to the colored cleaners, which was probably 20 minutes away. And there I, there I sat while all the other guys were on the field. These people have really been giving me hell all day long. And now I'm sitting there stark naked waiting for my uniform to come back from the cleaners. And the other guys are out on the field. So finally they get my uniform back. And I walk out on the field. Boy, and you'd think that I had just burned the American flag. They called me every name but a child of God. I am pleased God made my skin black, Kurt Flood later said. I wish he had made it thicker. So you know how many locker rooms I've been in as a kid, as a baseball player. I know that scene. I've lived that scene so many times. When I was in college, you know, your locker is like your apartment. Everybody has their little, it's like this big, but that's your little world. And you, you come off the field if it's a doubleheader, you take all your stuff off and you dump it in this big basket. And then there's somebody who will clean it. And a lot of times there are two or three uniforms. You just put on a fresh uniform and you go play the second game. So when I heard this story, I, I like relived it. And I'm like, Lord, that's the purpose of this is so that you could think not about what happened then, but you could be thinking about what can happen now. So I said, Lord, as a Christian, if I was in that room, what should I have done? Okay. So I want you to dream with me. I want you to go back with me to 1950 for a moment. What if one Christian would have said, I will wash his uniform? When I was a kid, I liked clean uniforms. And sometimes my mom once said to me, hey, if you want a clean uniform all the time, you got to learn how to wash your uniform. I didn't make my bed. I didn't do a lot of stuff, but I did wash my uniform. So, good gracious, wasn't there one Christian that could say, excuse me. Excuse me, I will wash his uniform. I will protect him. Wasn't there one Christian bus driver, one Christian bus driver who would have said, excuse me, ma'am, what's your name? Rosa Parks? Mother Parks, come on here. 
you sit on this bus, you sit right next to me. Wasn't there one restaurant owner, one Christian owner that could have easily said, at this restaurant, everybody eats. Come right here. At this hotel, everybody stays at this hotel. One Christian that would step out and do it. What if 10 Christians did it? What if 10 police officers said, I will not do that. I'm going to stand on the other line on this. You're going to have to beat them up and beat me up. You're going to have to stick a dog on me. And you know what? If we would just in, in our everyday lives step out and love. See, the thing about love, love doesn't focus on self. As Christians, we don't give in to the peer pressure of this world. The peer pressure of this world says, don't do that because the whole crowd is whatever. Everyone's right or everyone is Hispanic or everyone's this or everyone's that. So don't give in. The Christian says, I'm not white. I'm not Hispanic. I'm not this. I'm a child of God. And they're a child of God. And I have to protect them. Come on, somebody say amen to that. Because it's absolutely true. It's true. It's true, brothers and sisters. How do we fix this whole big mess in this city? I'm going to tell you right now. It's good to change laws. But you can't legislate the human heart. But love can transform the human heart. All we have to do. In your world, in my world, when you get an opportunity, don't give in. Don't give in. And by the way, let's talk clear today. Let's talk about racism for just a minute. This sermon is not about racism, but since it is a hot topic, let's touch the hot potato today. You know what racism is? It has nothing to do with skin color. Racism basically says that someone feels in their heart that they're better than someone else. Okay, and they use skin color or they use, they use other things or where you were born or where you come from. And it's all a lie from the pit of hell. We are just children of the most high God. Everyone in this room is my brother and my sister. That's the only thing that's true. That's the only thing that's true. And I'm going to tell you right now, you have to step past what you've been taught. You have to step past the things that you feel. You have to step past what you don't know and what makes you uncomfortable for the sake of love. And what you will notice is that when you step past, there's a powerful flooding of your soul with love. Okay? But not until you step out. The moment you open up your arms and say, look, I don't know you, but I love you, and you hug that person. The moment you say to someone, I don't agree with you, but boy, do I love you. Okay, and I'll give you food, I'll give you blankets, I'll buy you lunch. I don't agree with you, but I love you. Please hear my heart. Even before you hear my position, hear my heart and hear the love of God. I love you. Somebody say amen to that, please. Love is so powerful and so passionate. And if we could just get filled with the love of God, no ugliness that's happening in this world. Look at what it says in, uh, in 1 John 3.18. I love this. My children, 
Our love should not just be words and talk. It must be, everyone, true love, watch, which shows itself in action. Action. Every time we take the opportunity to love people, we're tearing stuff down. We're tearing lies down. And we're making people, we force people to think about Jesus. You realize that, right? When you love, you force people to think about Jesus. Especially when you love your enemy. Especially when you love your opponent. Especially when you love in the, in the midst of conflict. The minute that you start acting in love, people are like, why are they doing that? Obviously, it's because of Jesus. You want to be a game changer? You want to be a difference maker? Oh, man, at the end of this service, we're going to say, Lord, fill our hearts with love. Anybody ready to be filled with the love of God? I'm ready to be filled with the supernatural love of God. Hallelujah. This is a big deal. And by the way, remember, remember, it's very easy. We're almost, I'm going to wrap this up. I got one more point, but it's going to be like, like closing, leading us right into communion. Remember this about love. Because sometimes if we're hurt or offended or wounded or traumatized, we feel validated now that the obligation to love is no longer there but that's not true it may be the highest test of love it may be the most difficult expression of love but to remove yourself to reject people because they've hurt you is simply not God's way immature love loves the people who love you back God's love becoming love will love the people who hurt you the most. Write that down. Because it's true. We don't always like it because it's true. And here's the thing. When you love like God's love, he'll always heal you. You will find a supernatural grace. You will find an overwhelming power in your spirit that makes no sense. You will find an ability and a healing and a strength that it just, it just, there's no explanation for it except the spirit of the Lord has filled you. So when you love when it hurts the most, that's when you get the most from the spirit of the most high God. Then here's the last thing, and this this will lead us right into taking communion. Okay? How do we fix all of our problems? It's through love. Because love finds a way. Which means this. Love's obligation is creative. What do I mean by that? It means that regardless of the situation or circumstance, love will find a way to heal and unite. When you choose love, you are choosing God's solution. God's love will always give you the unique instinct, even though it doesn't make sense. God's love gives you this understanding that you're, you have an opportunity. You have an opportunity to love your enemy. The, the great, the great uh, testimony, Nikki Cruz, if you know the name, is a notorious gangster in New York. He was uh, approached by Dave Wilkerson, the late Dave Wilkerson, and he was being tormented by Dave Wilkerson chasing him. And once he, put, once he pushed 
uh, Dave Wilkerson up against the wall and said, I'm going to cut you to, into a thousand pieces. And Dave Wilkerson said, you can cut me into a thousand pieces, but each one of those pieces will just love you. And that's what broke that notorious gangster. That's what brought about this evangelist, this evangelist that's led thousands and thousands and thousands of people to Christ. You know why? Because in the midst of hatred, some Christian chose to love. And God will give you creative ways. Love will find a way to restore a broken marriage today. When you go through, when you get married, you're going to go through stuff. But let me tell you something. Love has a way of, love covers a multitude of failure. Love will find a way. Love will find a way to feed people during the pandemic. You know, I heard during the pandemic, um, these, these restaurant owners, I hope, this, the guy who started it was a Christian, right? These restaurant owners, they started to put refrigerators out all over Chicago. It started in Brooklyn. And uh, the, actually there's one not too far from here. And when the pandemic hit and even in the midst of the riots, there were these refrigerators. You see this love fridge. And, and there was free food put in. They stocked these. Anybody in the neighborhood that was hungry, they say, come and get some free food and all over the place. How many know love finds a way to feed people in a pandemic? Love reaches. Love finds a way over and over and over again. I hope that was a Christian. Listen, love finds a way to forgive. Love will find a way to forgive. Not too long ago, I actually visited Charleston, South Carolina and walked by the church where that young man in a crazed state, he gunned down all of these people. I think it was nine people at a church. And you know what? They didn't get enough press. It's funny. Can I tell you something? Look, the media loves to say the bad stuff and they minimize the good stuff. In the, in the kingdom of God, we elevate the good stuff and we minimize the bad stuff. Because somebody say amen. And you know what? He killed all of these people and they have it on record. They forgave him. Love finds a way to forgive no matter what you've been through, through this pandemic, let's make this real and now. No matter what the last year has been, no matter the way the race, uh, uh, the, the, the racial tensions uh, have affected you, can I tell you something? Love finds a way to forgive. Love makes us our best selves. Love is God's way. Love is God's heart. Love is God's solution. I want to close with this before we go to take communion. If your solution is not filled with love, it's not God's solution. Which is perfect as we go to take communion. Because listen, whenever you receive the word of God online, listen to this. I've watched this over the years. Okay, and I always pray for our church. You know. And I, I even listen to the way you listen. I'm very sensitive to the way you listen. Because I don't want you to listen to me like, yeah, yeah, pastor, that's good, that's good. You know, that's good. But in your heart, it's like, that's good for someone else. It's not good if it's not good for you. How many would say amen? I want us to listen and say, Lord, this is your word. Your word is spoken. Your spirit has spoken to me today. And so, Lord, today, as we go to take communion, 
Part of the reason you take communion is that the blood of Jesus, because of the sacrifice of Christ, the, the blood of Jesus can wash away hurt, pain, offense, sin, division, you know, all hate, trauma, all of the things that may have brought you to a certain place. You know, Christians have become so estranged in the last year. We've not only been separated physically, but we've been separated in part, not because of the Bible, but because of our certain histories and philosophies and perspectives. And all of those things are valid. I'm not invalidating someone's position on A or B, but here's what I am saying. Love is the most excellent way. And as a child of God, we have to receive the challenge to say, Lord, help me to love and you take care of the rest. I want to love. So we're going to take communion now if they could bring that out. And if you're here today and um, you have resentment in your heart to someone, when you go to take communion, this is the time to forgive them because here's the key. The Bible says to forgive as you've been forgiven. So to receive the forgiving, the, the, these symbols represent the body and blood of Christ. So to, to receive the forgiveness of God for yourself but not to give it to someone else. It's just incongruent. It's not right. It's not God's way. It's artificial. So today is a day to forgive people who've hurt you. Today is the day to cancel that bill. Okay, cancel the bill. No more debt. If, you, if someone is, is indebted to your heart, today is the day to say, Lord, I have no one debt, no debts in my heart. No one owes me anything, God. Help me to love them. I want to be your instrument, your transforming instrument. You really want to make a difference for the kingdom of God, for the glory of Christ, the one who suffered and died for us then if you have to, suffer like him and forgive. Today is a day to say, Lord, I want to completely be completely cleansed. Because notice, as, I, as we go to end this and take communion, notice that it says when you love, you do no person wrong. When you love, the whole law is fulfilled. Adultery, no adultery when you're walking in love. Murder, no murder when you're walking in love. You see, it just, it just can't happen when that's happening in your heart. So today, even your sin, even your secret things, you know, when you steal, for example, you're taking someone else's stuff. That's not love. And so could we really, this is the kingdom of God right now. We're on holy ground right now. We're not talking about the things of this world. We're talking about the things of the kingdom of God. The spirit of the most high God is here. The spirit of the most high God is in your house. He's with you right now. Hallelujah. And it's possible to be set free. Okay. By the spirit of God. It's possible to be healed and made whole. It's possible to be forgiven. We are expecting the best. Right now. Now, as you listen very quickly, as you listen to this word, maybe you're here and you've never accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior. 
The Bible says don't take physical communion if you haven't taken spiritual communion. The way a person becomes a Christian is that they kind of participate in, let's call it spiritual communion. Here's what I mean by that. You actually say, God, I know that you're real. God, I believe you sent your son Jesus to this earth. He was the son of God. I believe he was perfect. I believe that he paid the price for my sin. I believe that when he was crucified, he paid my debt so that I could be forgiven. I received that. I believe it. But more than that, I want Jesus, the one who then rose from the dead on the third day, I want him to live in my heart. You see, anything else is religion. But Jesus died for relationship. If you're here today and you've never accepted Jesus, I want to invite you to do that right now. If you're online, I want to lead you in a quick prayer. And I want you, as I'm going to help you pray, and you feel right now the Spirit of God. The Bible says I stand at the door and knock. So the Holy Spirit for thousands of years, he knocks on people's hearts. I was on a baseball field when I gave my heart to the Lord. But maybe today is your day. The Spirit of God is knocking at the door of your heart. Open up your heart and say, yes, Jesus. Come in and be with me forever. So if that's you. In fact, if everyone with eyes closed, if that's you, you want to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, would you just raise your hand here in the room? Thank you. Anyone else? Thank you. Thank you. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah. Okay, you can put your hands down right now. If you're on the screen, I just want to lead you in a prayer. All of us, let's say it together. Lord Jesus, thank you for your amazing love. A love so great that you gave your life for me. I receive the free gift of salvation. Your punishment for my freedom. My guilt, Lord, has been washed away. I open up the door of my heart. And I invite you in. Be the king of my heart, the Lord of my life, my savior, my friend. Thank you for receiving me, even as I receive you. Amen and amen. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Hallelujah.